Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, Well, today we're going to jump back into a series that we've been for the last couple of weeks called Fight Right, and we've been discussing this portion of Scripture that the Apostle Paul unpacks in Ephesians chapter 6, where he begins to remind us of the fact that we are both in a spiritual war, but also that we need to be equipped for this spiritual war. He shows us the strategy we're supposed to employ to be victorious in the midst of the battle we're facing. He starts off by saying, hey guys, let me remind you, you are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You're not fighting against things that you can name or that you can see like poverty or disease or politics or you name it. No, you're fighting a spiritual battle. You're fighting against principalities and powers in the unseen world. And I've reminded us every single week as we walk through this season, this most challenging, difficult season, for some of us, something that we've never even considered possible. As we walk through this, we need to remind ourselves that this is not normal. This is a spiritual battle that we are in the midst of. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that since we're in this battle, we need to put on some spiritual armor. Spiritual battles require spiritual armor. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand and remain victorious. And then he begins to tell us what that armor looks like. And so we've been unpacking that every single week. And today we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery arrows of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we've unpacked those first three, the belt, the breastplate, and my wife talked a little bit about the shoes of peace last week and did an amazing job. Feel free to go back and check that sermon out on YouTube. But today, we're going to dive into this next one, the shield of faith that quenches the fiery arrows of the wicked one. I don't want to minimize any of the other things we've discussed, but Paul mentions right here that this is the most important aspect of our armor. He says, guys, above all else. In other words, this, this, is, this is paramount. You have to pay attention to this one. You could have the shoes and the breastplate and the sword and all that stuff, but if you don't have a shield, you're gonna get taken out on the battlefield. So please make sure that you keep your shield up. Uh, Robin and I recently started a boxing at our house. Uh, not against each other, just to be clear. Uh, we don't take out our aggression on one another. Uh, and if we did, we probably all know how that would turn out based on a story I told you in the first sermon of this series where I admitted to the fact that I've been in one fight in my whole life and I lost terribly. And my wife would probably take me out. I think we can all agree that that would, that would happen. Also, she's got some really great traps and back muscles. I'm, I'm a little scared of her, if I'm being honest. But I digress. Uh, we started this boxing program in our, in our garage. We've had a, a gym in our garage for years and uh, we've stopped going to the gym a long time ago and subscribed to this program that we can watch on a computer and try out all these different workout programs, and it's been great. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we saw there was a new program that had been loaded onto the platform, and it was shadow boxing and strength training. And we're like, we've never tried anything like that before. Let's give it a whirl. And so we tried out the uh, sample program, and we really liked it. Robin really liked it. I, I liked it. She was walking around the house the whole first day, like punching at the air all day, and it was, it was awesome. So we committed to to the six weeks of this program. And just so you know, as a Biddle, when we commit, 
we commit like wholeheartedly. We're all in. There's not a half-hearted bone in our body. So we were all in and we were gonna do whatever we could to get the most out of this program. So Robin, she rearranges everything in the gym in the garage and she goes to Home Depot and she picked up a couple of uh, these mirrors uh, because it was an essential purchase. And uh, she hung these mirrors up with me in our garage so that we could look at ourselves while we worked on ourselves and we could check our form while we were boxing. And then for some added motivation, uh, she printed out a couple of photos to stick above uh, the mirrors of different people whose bodies we feel like we should have. And so uh, there was a guy named Amolius Caesar up there who was a coach that we worked out with for a little while. And then another friend of mine, I won't tell you who he is, but you know who you are, you'll remain nameless, who has great abs. Uh, I think she put that one there because she feels like I need his abs. Uh, but then on her side of the gym, she put up a picture, and I, I promise you, I, I can't make this stuff up. She put up a picture of Sarah Connor from Terminator. Very inspiring figure to my wife. And so we got Sarah and Amolia and this other guy who I can't tell you his name. And, uh, you know, they're watching us and we're working out and, and we love this program. It's actually been, it's actually been pretty good. Uh, but uh, during the beginning of this program, in the first video, our trainer, Joel, he, he made a statement that as soon as he said it, I thought, I have got to put this in the sermon where we talk about the shield of faith, because I think it so clearly taps into the heart of the Apostle Paul as he begins to tell us that we need to keep our shields up. Here's what Joel said. He said, I'm probably going to repeat myself over and over and over again throughout this program, and you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but this is one of the most important keys of boxing. You have to keep your guard up. You have to keep your hands up. And then he said this, the easiest way to lose a fight is to let your guard down. I think that is the heart of what Paul is trying to say right here. That the easiest way for us to fall prey to the enemy, prey to the fiery arrows that he's shooting at us, is to let our guard down. Just like a boxer has to keep their hands up near their face because of the jabs and, and the uppercuts and the hooks that are coming their way and they're gonna be constant. He has to keep himself or herself guarded. So a Christian needs to be aware of the fact that there is going to be a constant onslaught of fiery arrows coming their way and thus they need a shield to keep themselves protected. So I'm gonna unpack this a little bit. What is Paul talking about as he uh, it talks about this shield and these fiery arrows that are coming at a Christian. Well, in order to understand it, you need to understand first century Roman warfare. Uh, the shield that Paul is talking about is something called a scutum. And, and a scutum was a rather large shield, about two inches thick, made of pieces of wood that were glued together and then formed in kind of a half circle shape so that it could wrap around uh, the body of a soldier. And then that was again wrapped in leather on the outside. It was about three and a half feet tall and two and a half feet wide. And the construction, its materials and its shape, they were very intentional because it served a specific purpose on the battlefield. You've probably seen this in some movies before, but in first century warfare, it was not uncommon for two armies to line up on either side of a battlefield. And one army to start the fight out, I guess, they line up their archers, this battalion of archers, and they would begin to shoot arrows into the ranks of the opposing army. And the hope was that they could take out some of the soldiers before they ever had to get into hand-to-hand -hand combat. That was much more dangerous, and it was easier to take them out from a distance. 
And so the Romans, they fashioned these shields called scutums so that if arrows were flying in their direction, they could get down, duck down behind one of these shields or hold it up over their head, and they could catch the arrows from the opposing army. In fact, one of their formations, a common one, uh, it was called the turtle formation, if you dissect it in the Greek. In fact, a a picture of it is popping up on your screen right now. Uh, This formation allowed the soldiers to gather together when they saw some arrows coming their way, and and they would hide behind their shields, and it created like this impenetrable shell so that if arrows were coming their way, they could quickly take care of those and then charge the opposing army. Very effective battle tactic. So that explains the wood, and it explains why the, the shields were so large and the way that they were shaped, but it doesn't quite explain the leather. Why were the shields made of leather? Well, another common first century tactic, as Paul would lead us to believe here in Ephesians chapter 6, was the use of flaming arrows. But it wasn't necessarily the arrow itself. It was what the arrow produced that made it such an effective strategy. You see, uh, when you are forming an arrow, it's important that you take great care to ensure that the arrow is perfectly straight, that it is well-balanced, that the arrow is positioned in such a way so that when it's fired from a bow, it will go accurately and with great distance to the point where you're aiming. And so you could imagine that if you started to take an arrow and you begin to wrap it up with some tar and some pitch and you begin to light that thing on fire, suddenly you would throw off the weight distribution of this arrow. Suddenly, it's completely inaccurate, kind of clunky. It's it's not good for its intended purpose. And so flaming arrows were never really intended to land on a specific target. Rather, an army would take arrows and ignite them with tar and pitch on the front of them so that they could start a bunch of fires in the opposing army's ranks. And as those fires begin to ignite, it would incite fear and confusion in the opposing army, ultimately causing them to flee. In fact, there were some stories of uh, first century warfare where they would shoot these flaming arrows and they'd start a bunch of fires. And as the warriors were running away, a second battalion of archers standing behind those with the flaming arrows would begin to launch their arrows directly into the backs of the fleeing army. Let me say it like this. It was a fear tactic. It wasn't that the arrow itself was effective. Very few people died from the arrow hitting them. It was what the arrow produced, the fear and confusion that led to the enemy's victory. Now, I could say a million different things about that. I could preach for hours just unpacking that, but I don't have hours. I have a couple of moments here today. And so let let me just say one very simple thing. The shield that the Romans used would extinguish, the leather would extinguish the flaming arrow so that it didn't lead to an environment of fear and confusion. Also, so that they can continue to face their enemy and not flee. The shield did not extinguish fear itself. Rather, the shield extinguished that which could produce fear down the road. Very important to distinguish. Now, now Paul tells us that our shield isn't made of leather. It isn't made of wood and glue. It's made of a a much more powerful, time-tested substance that is incredibly effective at dealing with the fiery arrows of the enemy. He says that our shield is made of faith. What is faith? 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says that faith is the substance of things unseen. It's the confidence in the, the coming about of what we hope for. It's being confident that what we hope for is actually going to happen. In other words, faith is being more convinced of what you see with your eyes closed than what you see with your eyes open. Faith looks at any circumstance, no matter how dire, no matter how devastating it is, and it says, I understand what I see. I'm not ignoring reality, but there is a greater reality. There is a God that is greater than anything that I'm facing right now. So whether it's sickness or lack or devastation or whatever, I'm gonna look at this thing and I'm gonna declare that my God is bigger. That is faith. And as it pertains to some fiery arrows and a shield that we need, faith, quenches flames before flames become fear. Let me play out a scenario that many of you are probably familiar with, something that might resonate with all of us today. You're out there doing your best to love Jesus, serve him, live life, reading your Bible, you're praying, you're worshiping, going to church, going to group, when we were allowed to do those things. Things seem to be going well, and then someday, out of nowhere, you pick up your head, and all of a sudden, here come some flaming arrows. All of a sudden, you look up, and here come some arrows in your direction. And each flame has a name. Maybe that name is diagnosis. Maybe it's recession. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's furlough. Maybe it's uh, infertility or go down the list. Isolation, sadness. Every flame has a name. You can fill in your own blank. You know what you're facing. And, and as these arrows are coming in your direction, you, you, you begin to realize, oh my gosh, th things could turn out horribly wrong. It's not that the arrow is necessarily gonna take you out, it's the threat of the unknown. What, what if this thing ignites? What, what if something bad happens? And suddenly, you're, you're facing this, this potentially negative outcome. It's not that the diagnosis will lead to death, but it could. It's not that the recession will lead to unemployment, but it could. And you start playing out all these scenarios in your head. Well, in these moments, as a believer, you have one of two choices. Option number one, you can get behind a time-tested shield called faith, and you can begin to declare over your situation, God is greater than this. I'm not gonna let my mind go places it shouldn't. I'm gonna believe that God is still for me and he's not against me. I'm gonna hold up this shield and I'm gonna quench these things before they have the opportunity to become fear. Or you can let your guard down. Like you can let your mind run wild and you can begin to play out every what if scenario. You can allow the darts to land and ignite some flames around you that begin to burn with fear. And sadly, I think that far too many of us find ourselves in the latter story, the latter situation. Far too many of us find ourselves letting our guard down, putting our shield down, finding that we don't have enough faith to conquer what we're facing. And I know that that's a sweeping comment and it throws everybody under the same bus, but statistically, it's true. The University of Pennsylvania did a study years ago and they uh, surveyed a bunch of people and asked them what their greatest fears and worries were. And 
they cataloged all of those fears and then they began to watch the subjects for a period of time to see if the things that they feared actually came to pass, they materialized. And come to find out after watching everybody for a period of time, 92% of the things that people were worried about, 92% of the things that they feared never actually happened. But 100% of the time, people allowed that fear to cripple them. What is that? That, that is the enemy's tactic, his strategy. That is psychological spiritual warfare, fear. It's the tactic he's used since the beginning of time. And Christian, listen to me today. We have got to stop falling for the same tired battle plan over and over and over again. We have got to keep our guards up. Which begs the million dollar question, how? How do I keep my guard up? All that we're facing right now, all that I'm walking through right now, how do I keep my guard up? Or let me ask it like this. Where does one find faith? If faith is what this shield is made of, where do I find the faith I need for what I'm facing? And that's a great question. The the Bible unpacks plenty of places for us to find faith. You can find faith in recalling the faithfulness of God in the past and it builds faith for your future. We can find faith by praying in the spirit. We can find faith by fasting in prayer because it it gets rid of unbelief. Uh, We can even find faith by borrowing it from somebody else. Like, I don't have enough faith for this situation. How How do I find faith? Uh, All of those things are true, and I might unpack one or two of them this Tuesday in our devotional. But for the sake of our time today, let me give you the place I look for faith when I most desperately need it. The, The first place I look for faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, says this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, Paul in the scripture, contextually, is talking about saving faith, but it's a principle that is replete all throughout the Bible, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, as you know, 21st century Christians, we've used this phrase, word of God, in, in church all the time. And so the temptation when you read something like that would be to go, okay, Faith comes by hearing from the Word of God. Word of God is the Bible, so if I need more faith, I gotta read more Bible. More Bible, more faith. That's how it works, right? Like, I just gotta read more. And, and that is true, that there is plenty of faith to be found in the Word of God, and I would not dissuade you from doing that. However, that is not what Paul is talking about in this scripture. There's a couple of different words in the Greek for the word, word. And, and the first word is the word logos, and it means the written word. It's like the Bible, that is the written word of God. But that's not the word that Paul uses in the scripture. Paul uses another word in Greek called rhema. And rhema means the spoken word, not like poetry. So Seth and Carol and others that write spoken words, you're great, but that's not what he's talking about right now. It's like the utterance, the spoken word of God for a specific situation. Rhema carries with it the idea that it's a now word for a now situation. The Bible calls it a a word in due season. In other words, if you are facing something specific right now, we need to know what God is saying about that specific situation. If you find that you don't have faith, if you're lacking faith, if your shield doesn't seem to be working, you know how to get faith? You know how to get that shield? 
You need to find out what God is saying about the situation. Not anybody else, just God. Because we all know that everybody else has an opinion, right? Everybody else has something to say. The media's got something to say. Your friend's got something to say. Your family's got something to say. As sabotaging as it might sound, your pastor has something to say about the situation. Everyone has an opinion. Their opinion doesn't matter. What does God have to say about what you're facing? Only his opinion matters. We need to get a rhema word for our situation. Now listen, can God use friends and family members and pastors to speak to you? I hope so. It's what I do every single week. In fact, the, the logos can become a rhema word. I can't tell you how many times that I've been reading the Bible and all of a sudden God will highlight something in scripture that I've been praying about and I need faith for. And as he highlights it, that logos word, that logos word becomes a rhema word and now a word for my situation. All of that is possible. But when you've scoured the scriptures and you've asked all your friends and your family members for advice and your pastor doesn't know how to tell you what to do, what you need to do, what do you need? You need a rhema word. You need to hear from God. And I think that's where so many of us are at right now. And I, I, just, I feel this as I'm saying it, even talking to a camera. Like, I think so many of us need to know what is God saying right now? What is he saying about our city? What is he saying about my situation? I don't want to make moves and decisions. I, I, feel, the, I feel the onslaught of the enemy just coming in my direction and dart after dart after dart. I, I need to know what God's saying. I feel like I don't even have a shield right now. And here's the good news for you. You can hear God. You can hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. It is a promise given to you in scripture. You don't have to wonder whether or not God will speak to you about your situation. It is a guarantee. If you will incline the ears of your heart to simply listen, if you will be faithful to come before him in prayer and ask, he will speak to you. He will give you a word for your situation. We just need to posture ourselves to hear it. God, what are you saying right now? I've shared this story before, and if you've been in our Discover class or you've watched it on our website, you've heard it before, but for the sake of illustration, I can tell you that there's been some times in my life where I desperately needed a rhema word from God, namely when we started this church. I can remember years ago after praying and thinking and dreaming for years about moving to San Francisco and planting a church and asking advice and seeking counsel and all that stuff, I was still at this place where I was like, God, do you really want us to go? I just, I don't know. I need to hear from you. It felt like every day there'd be another arrow headed in my direction, another flaming dart from a, a pastor that was telling me they tried it and it didn't work, or someone telling me and warning me that if you go there, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose everything you've worked for, and all of these things I needed to be shielded against. And I just, I felt like I didn't have the word. I didn't have the shield. So one day I set out on a 21-day uh, fast and prayer journey, and I said, God, I just, I'm going to push aside the plate. I just need to hear, what are you saying? And I'll never forget, I was sitting there in my office in my chair, and as I set out on day one of this prayer and fasting journey, I opened up my computer, and I opened up my iTunes and just hit random. I have thousands of songs on my iTunes, not to brag. Uh, but uh, I just hit random to see what song would pop up, and as I hit that, that, that space bar to start the song, I said, God, I just need to hear from you today. And as soon as the music began to play, this song came, uh, it's called St. Francis Came On by Christine DeMarco. And the chorus of that song 
just began to resonate with my heart and I began to weep as she's saying, keep hoping, St. Francis, you'll be a free man yet. You'll see the sun rise on your city streets again. And as I was weeping, I began to Google, what was this song all about? When did she write it? What was, it? what was the intention of it? And only to find out that she lived here for a couple of years. And while she lived here, she wrote this song because she knew that God wanted to do something significant in San Francisco, but she felt like the time wasn't right. And so she moved away, but it was a prophetic declaration about what God wanted to do in the future. And in that moment, I got a ram a word. In that moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, son, she was speaking about now. Now is the time and this is the season and you are going to play a part in a historic move of God in San Francisco. And man, I have clung to that rhema word. That word has been a shield in many seasons for me, specifically right now. As we look around in this unprecedented time and I've got a million darts coming my way, what if the church doesn't make it? And what if people don't show up when we're allowed to open the doors again? And what if people fall off the wagon? And what if people move away because they lose their jobs? Arrow after arrow. In those moments, you know what I do? I remind myself of a moment where I sat in a chair and God gave me a rhema word. The move of God has not yet happened in San Francisco. And as long as that has not yet happened, then God is not done, which means this thing will not take us out. And I stand behind that shield and I recall the faithfulness of God and any arrow that tries to come at me gets quenched the moment it hits my shield of faith. I had a rhema word. That's faith. That's a shield. And let me just say, God has a rhema word for you. I am not special. God has something specific he wants to speak to you about your situation. If we'll just be faithful to listen and ask God, what are you saying? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.